It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Hello and welcome to the True Penny Show. My name is James True Penny. This is my show, and today we have a very different show because we have two new guests who have never been on the True Penny Show before, which is unusual because, you know, it tends to be a rotating circle of the regular crew. Well, I have got two guests who are writers, and they've written books about wrestlers from two very different eras and two very different regions of the world. And I thought it'd be interesting to have them both on to have a chat to promote their work, first of all, and to talk about wrestling books in general. So, first of all, we have Mr. Andy Scott, who has written the book London's Lovable Villain, The Story of Chick Cocky Knight. How are you, sir? Yeah, good, thank you. Thanks very much for having me on. Much appreciated. That's okay. And I've also got... Vinnie Berry, who has co-wrote the book, Lance by Chance, Wrestling as Von Eric, the biography of Lance Vaughn. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for having me on. Okay, then. So normally when we have new guests on the Troopany Show, we kind of like talk about wrestling fandom of the people involved, especially as you two have written wrestling books. Vinny, what has your involvement in the wrestling industry been as a fan, or have you just got into this from a writing point of view? Well, I grew up outside of Dallas, Texas, where the world-class championship wrestling promotion was put on by Fritz Von Erich. So I grew up probably about 10 miles from the Von Erich family. And so they were just a part of our culture and they were just, um, that was just what we did. You know, um, not everyone in my family was a, a wrestling fan, but uh, they would take me to to the, the matches, the big ones at least that, and, um, yeah, it was just something I really, really enjoyed watching. I loved uh, the Von Erics. I followed the Von Erics. And I, like I said, I went to all the big matches, like the ones that were held on Thanksgiving, uh, Memorial Day or Labor Day or uh, Christmas. And, you know, just all the big events at Texas Stadium and things like that. So, yeah, it was just something that, that I just grew up watching. I think to a non-Texan, it's hard to describe how over the Von Erichs were in Texas in the early 1980s, isn't it? Uh, yeah, because uh, you got to remember back then when you did have the territory regions, you know, it was regional. So it wasn't until later, like when cable came along and started, you know, uh, I was talking to a guy in uh Connecticut the other day, he said that, you know, there was a certain time that he was getting it after school. Um, but I had already gotten it long before he did, right? Because <laughs> I, I was right there in the area. And so, yeah, when you, and then I was talking to another person uh, during this project, and they said that, uh, yeah, to me, the Von Erics were minor league, because he, he too was in New York. And <laughs> he, he didn't, get he didn't have the same experience that i did so no. yeah these guys were rock stars i mean they were they couldn't go anywhere in public they were very popular they were handsome they were athletic and uh, they were the stars of the promotion as i was reading both your books it did strike me uh that the how can i put this dallas in the 80s from the point of view of lance von eric and london wrestling scene in the 1930s are kind of both great examples of what everything is done right with a wrestling promotion and how you can do everything wrong in a very short order if you're not careful um andy 
What's your relationship with pro wrestling and what did you start as a wrestling fan? Um, well, my relationship with pro wrestling um, really only stems from great uncle Chick and knowing that he was a professional wrestler. Um, and, you know, Chick was fighting, obviously, back in the 1930s, as you said, you know, uh, fought from 1932 to 1958. Um, so long before I was born, and my only relationship with professional wrestling as sort of a fan was in the days of World of Sport, um, which was a, a TV program we used to have on a Saturday afternoon, kicked off around sort of 12 noon, I think. And the wrestling was very much sort of the, the tail end of the program. Dickie Davis would go, <laughs> go over to Kent Walton in some far-flung town hall or um, some theatre that was being used where a ring was set up and you'd have the likes of Mick McManus or Jackie Palo, uh, you know, giant haystakes and big daddy of the, of the day battling it out. And then some old granny in the front row or whatever would get up <laughs> and be a scene sort of thing. So from, from a fan's perspective, that was sort of my era growing up as a, as a young kid, you know, um, but I only ever knew um, somebody who was a wrestler uh, as great uncle Chick. And it was only through sort of doing the research with regards to the book that I became introduced to more of the fighters around um, Chick's era and actually realized how serious they, they were as opposed to the likes of, of what we've seen over the over the years sort of thing with a more theatrical sort of performance, if you like, or staged. Um, but the, these guys really hurt one another. You know, not not that obviously there weren't battles that, that you, you and Vinny have, have seen over the years where people didn't get hurt, but these were real, you know, people got damaged. You know, Chip gets carried out of the ring on a stretcher. And, and <laughs> yeah. I think one one fight with Bert Azarati, I think Bert actually thinks he's broken Chick's back, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my sort of background from a, a, a fan's perspective, if you like. Vinny might not know Bert Azarati is, but Bert was our Luthez in the <laughs> double hard, never back down from a fight kind of way. And in fact, he challenged Luthez to a... NWA World Championship match when Lou was touring the UK. It never came off that they were both keen. However, someone thought somebody might die, so it was probably not a good idea. <laughs> so I will go to questions for you guys. I've got questions that you could both answer. But uh, Vinny, first, can you talk about the concept for the book? Because it's a biography. What were you trying to achieve in telling the story of Lance? Yeah, that's a that's a very very good question and um the the best the best way i can answer that is is um i wanted to tell a story right i wanted to because i had a lot of questions myself but you know there was a lot of tragedies that happened during his time there you know um uh right before he came 
uh, probably a year or so prior to that, David Von Erich died. And then uh, six months after he was there, four months after he was there, uh, Gino Hernandez died. And then yeah. uh, Kerry had his motorcycle accident in 86. And then Mike died in 87. And so there was a lot of stuff that happened. And he was there for that. And so um, I was, you know, I kind of, when I was writing the book, I was kind of debating, like, you know, how much should I go into this and how much should I talk about this stuff? And um, I didn't think I could leave it out because, no. like I said, it, it happened when he was there. It was an important part. So the concept of the book was um, not only to tell Lance's story, but to tell the story of world class during that period. And then also, too. After I got done talking to uh, referee David Manning, who discovered Lance and took him back to Fritz, I got a really good view of how professional wrestling worked back then and how things were done back then and why promotions kind of like traded out uh, talent from like, say, to Portland to Dallas or, you know, uh, Louisiana to Dallas or, or whatever, just to different, different promotions. And then also too, he talked a lot about how the world title worked and, you know, that, you know, the business was about bottom line and they brought in this guy, you know, uh, he, he explained to me how the heel worked better as a champion, as opposed to a baby face, you know, and things like telling me that, you know, who who wants the the baby who wants to see the baby face wrestler get beat and lose his title you know yeah. everybody wants to see the baby face go beat the villain and and that's why you know um uh, you know carrie not only was carrie unpredictable and unreliable uh for them to put the title on him he had the title for three weeks but uh you know, he was also taking money away from the Dallas promotion being around the world defending the NWA title. So, you know, he explained to me that, hey, you know, wrestling is a business. And when he explained it to me like that, you know, it was, uh, I wanted to tell that story too. So I tried to, I tried to encompass that and also to tell Lance's story that happened after world class, because a lot of people just thought he went away. Well, he had a 10 year wrestling career. I think that's the interesting part from my point of view, uh, having read the book, is Lance was an incredibly talented wrestler. And I've watched a lot of his work and I can see he's an incredibly talented wrestler. And I think that's the issue is that I got to see the stuff I didn't see because I watch World Class because a little bit, it was more USWA after World Class sold out to the USWA. That was... On TV, it was on European TV every night, more or less, because they had all tapings of world class. So I, I, I'd seen a lot of Lance, and it was nice to find out more about him and the things that came after. So I think that's a really interesting kind of story to tell as well, because it's, it's not necessarily the main event guy. It's there's a whole other world of wrestling you don't see just because it's not on television every week. And I think that's that. Those guys always fascinate me. There's there's a couple of wrestlers. A British wrestler called Heidi Katrina. I interviewed her for oh back when I was writing for Total Wrestling, 
and she had made a career out of non-televised wrestling. She wrestled all over Europe, all over Japan. It wasn't until she got a regular spot in Japan that she started appearing on TV every week. You know, she had a three-year career before then and made perfectly good money, you know, but it, there, is, mm -hmm. there is a life outside of television wrestling. Andy, what's your concept behind your book and what story were you trying to tell? Yeah, sure. Um, well, very much sort of... Uh similar really uh, to what um, Vinny was saying um, I wanted to tell and find out more from my own perspective really about Chick's fighting career um, I knew that he'd been in the, in the services had been in the army uh, but I didn't realize that that was where sort of his sporting prowess formulated and came into being if you like um, because when I delved in, he, he, was the, he was referred to on various fight posters, various wrestling posters, as the, the champion of the Indian Army. And when I went into the, the regimental records and the family archives of the pictures of him during his time going into the army, and then as he, pro as he progresses over the years, he, he and his regiment are professional, uh, sorry, champion he becomes a champion wrestler a champion boxer and then a champion fencer in the army um and you can see his his physique actually starts to change you know he he, he starts build building himself up and then when he leaves the army he goes into boxing um for a short period of time but then turns professional wrestler in 1932 and he's actually fighting in a European championship then. Um, and, and then his sort of his career, when I went into the archives of the newspapers to try and find out as many fights as I could, that started to roll out, you see him taking on all of the big heavyweight names of the of the time, of that era, that very early 1930s, uh, when Professional wrestling in the UK was was just starting to sort of uh, get itself developed, if you like, before Mount Evans or Atal Oakley set down the, the sort of rules uh, for for all in wrestling to sort of go forward. But Chick's there in those very early formulative years, and then he's there as it develops as a professional game if you're a professional sport more more like um and more big names start coming in like the likes of azarati you know the, the likes of douglas clark all these sort of big guys that he, he took on and people that go on to become champions or are champions you know chicks fighting all of these guys and every time i was speaking to somebody who was one of the wrestling historians over here in the uk they were saying, well, nobody's ever done anything about Chick. Um, you know, we, his name always popped up, but nobody really, really knew of him or, you know, they sort of dismissed him, if you like, for whatever reason. But he, he, was, he was 20 stone by the time he, he, he finished. He, he had a 21-inch neck. You know, he used, to, he, he used to do door work. It was a pretty significant bouncer if you like you know um one of the stories in the in the book tells of 
an incident that happens in a Soho, outside a Soho nightclub. Um, and he goes on to become, you know, security afterwards. So there, there was this whole career that sort of developed after the wrestling as well, which was another side of him which I wanted to get across to the reader. And also the life-saving feats, which we as a family had only previously heard of one of them, which was the one in Gibraltar when he was a soldier. And people thought that the one in Hammersmith in 1930 was actually a myth. You know, it was only through going into the research with the um, people that awarded Chick the certificate at the time, that we actually found that that incident happened, that it's documented and, and what went on. And then to trace the relatives uh, of those people that we saved as well was absolutely fantastic. So I wanted to, I wanted to sort of encompass Chick as a as a as a person uh, developing um, both as a fighter, um, you know, and then get his his career outside of the ring afterwards as well as to you know what happened to him, where where did he where did he go, you know, what what did he get up to, and. Uh, as I portrayed it, you know, it was such a colourful life because it just encompassed so many different things, you know, to become a, a wrestler, a pro boxer as well, um, to be one of the first on British TV, one of the first British wrestlers to be seen on TV, to be one of the first to take on a, a boxer in a wrestler v boxer match as well, um, and then to go into door work, then to become security for royalty, to star in films as a stuntman in an extra. There were so many different chapters to his life that I just wanted, I felt it had to, the whole story of, of Chick had to be told and, you know, put into, into one. So um, that was, you know, sort of where I, I was coming from with, with regards to getting his life out there. And, and it was educational for me because I never knew some of the stuff had, had ever happened or existed and <laughs> um, um, speaking to people who'd actually seen chick fight that was that was absolutely fantastic as well you know people who could relay or, and people that knew him even finding his lodger um who lodged with him in the later part of his life you know that was that was great to have their memories as well it was it was lovely because um you know they really knew that the other the other side of chick outside of the ring and he was very much a gentle giant outside of the ring. But when it come to come to getting in the ring, you know, he, he was this uh, <laughs> take them all on at no, at no cost. <laughs> you know, um, and never go uh, forward, if you will. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Vinny. Both of your books are incredibly research, well researched. Vinny, did you have any difficulties writing this book? Because obviously, it's a difficult point in wrestling history, and it's a difficult thing to talk about, like you said, with the tragedies that happened in world class, but was there any difficulties you had in the book or was it more, more people more willing to talk about the stories now? Yeah, there was, there was people willing to talk about the stories. And, um, you know, I think the biggest problem was that, you know, it, it happened 35 years ago. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and so that, um, the memory is is you know uh and also to the world-class error for lance wasn't really memorable he seemed to 
remember more of what happened afterwards, like uh, African stuff and what happened overseas, but he enjoyed himself more overseas. You know, you got to remember, you know, um, he just wasn't, uh, he wasn't happy working for the Von Erichs. He wasn't getting sleep. His body wasn't what it was used to be. He, he felt overworked. He felt underpaid. He was going through a bad marriage. And so, you know, it wasn't a good time for him. Um, but, you know, uh, besides that, you know, I did, you know, I did have some uh, people help me that were there. Dusty Wolf was a big help. Um, Jeff Bearden, the giant warrior, was a big help. Uh, the Youngbloods, Mark Youngblood, Chris yeah. Youngblood were very helpful. Um, I enjoyed talking with Mark quite a bit. I, 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 he is just a really nice guy. He's laid back. Uh, he's just, it was enjoyable to uh, hear stories from him and um, Johnny Mantel helped Steve Casey helped and um, Mark Lawrence, David Manning was huge. And so, yeah, um, you know, on this is like everybody's perception was a little different, you know, (laughs) you know, if, if uh, I had three guys and they were all telling me the story and two guys said the car was blue and one guy said the car was green. The car was probably blue. Right. So, <laughs> you know, it was things like that, that, and, and, and if, if the car was blue and green and red from all three different guys, we just didn't write about that. You know, we just bypassed <laughs> it because I wanted it to be as accurate as possible. And, uh, but again, you know, for something that happened so long ago, um, you know, there was only one wrestler I reached out to who was Brian Adidas, who wasn't really, he didn't want to, he didn't want to, uh, contribute. He was real nice to me, but he just didn't want to do it. And then, uh, you know, I did reach out to Kevin and Kevin, Kevin helped me, you know? So Kevin, uh, gave me the quote for the front of the book, which I'm sure you read, right? Yeah. And then, and then, uh, he helped me with some, uh, uh, his side of the story of what happened in Japan. So, um, but that was a that was it. It was a, probably about a two hour conversation I had with him and a couple follow up texts. Uh, at first, he didn't want to uh, help, uh, but then he Lance uh, reached out to me about a week later. Said he was thinking about everything, and about a week before I went to press, I asked him if he'd write a quote for the back of the book. And what he wrote was a little too big to put on the back. So I took a <laughs> out of it and I stuck the paragraph in the front of the book. And I have to admit, Lance didn't want it in the book. He said, yeah. I don't know why you, I don't know why you have to put that in the book. And I said, look, we have to put it in the book. And I, I come from a uh, news background where, yeah. you know, television news where, you know, we go get your side of the story and we go get their side of the story. And yeah, yeah. that's what I was trying to do with this. And and one one more thing about the, uh, you know, the, the you know, going back to these people and, and I think a lot of people were concerned that, you know, there was going to be a lot of bashing in the book. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, 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 and there isn't, you know, no. he's very respectful in how he tells his story. He wanted to tell his story. He didn't want to bury anybody. And Kevin Von Erich read the book. And after he read the book, he wrote us an email and he, he told Lance that, 
you know, hey, I never saw it from your perspective before. I never, he said, and nobody could have done what you did for our company. Yeah, that's it. To come in there and wrestle with the pressure that he was put, put under, you know? Yeah, I've, I've talked to Kevin online before because um, we have somewhat differ, different political outlooks and we had an animated conversation on DMs, uh, but he's a really genuinely nice guy who wished me well and said, thank you very much for the conversation. It's different, nice to hear a different perspective and he's, he's an open-minded enough person. And so it was nice to see that he was... Uh, you know, approval approved of the book, and it, it was it was a good thing. When I saw that first paragraph, all I thought, well, Kevin's a pretty fair-minded guy, and if he thinks it's going to be a good book, then I, I I'm impressed by that. So yeah, 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 it's it's it was very cool. Andy, I was going to ask you. You obviously had a very different experience because <laughs> the person you were writing about is no longer with us, sadly. So what kind of different things did you have to kind of look at because you can't just interview the person directly. No, sure. Well, luckily, um, my cousin Iris is Chick's daughter. So there was a lot of um, family sort of memories and very fortunate to have a lot of images uh, that I've got through my father, who was his, uh, his late mother was Chick's sister. So between Iris and myself, we've accumulated quite a extensive photo library of images throughout Chick's, uh, Chick's life. Um, the difficulty was obviously uh, actually getting the records or getting certainly the, the sort of uh, fight history of Chick um, from that very early era. So 1932 to 58 you're extensively going through the newspaper archives of that of those periods trying to trace uh, the, the fight records that were either being promoted sort of a few weeks before a few days before and then any results um, but then speaking to unfortunately the the wrestling historian guys at wrestling heritage and british wrestling reunion were absolutely superb um, where they could uh, if they, they say to us, look, send us what you've got uh, sort of each year, for each year. And if there's any gaps, we'll try and fill them for you, uh, which was great. Um, so I, I was lucky, I think, in, in the fact of, and it took quite extensive research to get close to a thousand fights uh, of chicks actually recorded and documented, which, again, had never been done before because on the British records that we had here, um, there was only like between 30 and 40 odd fights over, over that period. And the other difficulty was that um, Chick was fighting under different names when he when he fought abroad in tournaments. And we, we'd known that anyway, um, but we, we didn't realise that uh, there were different connotations of Chick's name, so different spellings of Chick's, Chick's name as well. Uh, so it was... Again, every time you were going in, doing the different connotations and spellings of his name. Um, and then, obviously, the, the Sergei Orlov, the Russian bear, when he fought abroad to try and piece that history together. Um, yeah, and so it was, fr from that, from that um, side of things, it was, it was difficult, um, but it made it more challenging uh, 
and to have the feedback um, from the wrestling guys and some of the, the, the great reviews, uh, Ian Aldous uh, has done a fantastic review, to have their comments come back to say how well researched and how well written it, it, the book has, has been and, and been received. I mean, we're here, this is week three from launch and we've done 80 copies, uh, nearly all of the first print run and several into the USA as well, which has been great. And uh, the, the reception, I, I couldn't have asked for a better reception. Um, and also being so pleased with the, with the book, um, you know, in terms of its production and to have comments with regards to that as well uh, has, has been absolutely superb. Excellent. Um, I've got, I've, I'm trying to, I got distracted then because Zoom sent me a message in the middle of everything. Um, I was going to ask you something else. Yeah, Spinny, is there any, I'll ask both of you this, but I'll start with an E. Is there any wrestling books that have already been out there that kind of inspired you or gave you guidance or any wrestling writers that you admire that you wanted to kind of emulate or just are a fan of? Well, uh, there's two uh, writers who've, uh, wrestling writers who've kind of uh, mentored me through through this process. Uh, Kenny Casanova was big. He wrote uh, Kamala Speaks and uh, Don't Call Me Chico, the Tito Santana story, uh, along with Vader and the Beef Cake book. And he mentored me quite a bit on this project. And uh, he was a big help. And he still is today. He's, you know, walking me through how what my next step is and how to do certain things and kind of what to avoid. And then another uh, author who's been uh, instrumental since the book came out um, is Keith Elliott Greenberg. He's um, every once in a while, you know, if I if I come across something that I kind of don't know how to handle or <laughs> if somebody, um, you know, something comes up or somebody says something to me or how do I respond? And he's really good about giving me advice on how to uh, handle uh, maybe uh, difficult situ situations that maybe come up, you know, or uh, just uh, uh, how to promote or how to uh, just handle things, you know, that come along with, you know, putting a book out or uh, how to market it and things like that. So, yeah, they, those two men have uh, been, you know, very helpful for me. Uh, Kenny the last few years but but Keith the uh, you know since since October November when the book came out Andy same question for you is there any books that you truly admire or any writers that have been uh, influential in what you've been doing yeah certainly um well Martin Knight who provided the back cover quote has been instrumental in uh, I would say helping me and providing me with advice along the way um, we had a, a, a lunch meeting in the early stages of the book and he, he um, owns a publishing company himself and I was just asking his advice. He's written various sporting biographies, one on Charlie Cook and one on Peter Osgood and George Best. So he's sort of been there and done it in terms of sporting biographies, albeit those individuals were actually alive at the time when he, when he was writing uh, their biographies. But in terms of helping me and giving me advice uh, along the way um he, he's he's been there for me which has 
which has been great. And just um, like I say, the, the feedback I had from the, the wrestling historian guys uh, in particular to, you know, keep going as much as possible with regards to getting Chick's life and getting the, um, the fight history uh, recorded as much as possible was it was a great incentive. Um, so I've, I've read a lot of sporting biographies and a lot of sporting autobiographies. Um, so I wanted really to to do it justice from from my own personal uh, point of view and get across very much hopefully uh, a lot of chick as a as a person in his his life in and out of the ring. As, as well as the uh, the whole fight career. So, uh, yeah. Okay. I've got one last question for both of you, because I think these stories are pertinent even in today's professional wrestling industry, especially like Andy's book on the grounds that the British wrestling industry goes through cycles and it's currently, well, I suppose it's on a downward trend of its seventh boom period since the 1920s, I think. And the world-class story is a universal story of wrestling success. So I was going to ask both of you, and I'll start with Vinny, what, how does your book and the stories in your book relate to the modern wrestling industry, or does it? Or do you think the business has changed too much for it to relate? Well, I think everybody likes a good story, you know, and I, I believe this is a good story. Yeah, wrestling is it, it evolves over time. It's it's different. A lot of people, you know, they would consider this classic or old school wrestling. Um, you know, there's uh, back then there was, you know, you could control the crowd with a headlock or an arm bar. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, you, you try to do that today and, you know, they're yelling, boring, boring, boring. Right. Uh, back in the day, wrestlers could get fans back in the seats by doing that stuff because the psychology, I think the psychology is gone. But, you know, I, I think the story's good. And I and I think for for people who may know a little bit about the story, but not all the story, you know, the funny thing about this story is, is everybody thinks they know it. Yeah. Everybody thinks they know what happened. And and there's just when when you pick up the book, I, I can't tell you how many people was like, wow, I thought it to be this or wow, I got a whole different perspective of of this guy. Hey, I got a whole new respect of Lance Von Eric. I I never knew. I didn't know. I didn't. And, you know, when we were talking about, you know, um, burying people or, or talking about if he talks bad about anybody in the book, it's himself yeah <laughs> he's 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 uh almost honest to a fault you know uh so i and i and i like that and i i think that's what makes this a good story too is because he got vulnerable and i and i it was funny when we were working on the story together working on the book he'd tell me a story and i'd ask him details and he goes whoa 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 you're not going to put that in the book are you and i said well yeah i was going to and he goes yeah i'd rather you not and then he'd tell me another story and I'd say, hey, I, I suppose you don't want me to put you put that in the book, too. And he goes, no, no, put that in the book. <laughs> and I was like, man, if, it, if I were you, I would pick this one and not that. <laughs> OK, so, you know, uh, again, it, it's a good story. I, I think if you pick it up, you give it a chance, you're going to enjoy it and you're going to learn a lot about, 
again, you know, the Von Erichs, what happened to him overseas, how the business ran. And really, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised that we wouldn't be, you and, you know, the three of us would not be talking today had David Manning not seen this guy on a golf course. He would have never come into professional wrestling ever. Yeah, no, this this is this is how these connections work. And funnily enough, I was I was very sadly, I write for Steel Show Wrestling magazine and their website, and I was writing the obituary for Axel Butch Reed yesterday. And I was looking through the matches that he'd had, because obviously I'm, I'm writing back, trying to get dates right and, and things. And the names keep cropping up because of the territory system. People like Bobby Jaggers was a, a big uh, rival with Axel Butch Reed and was obviously very influential on Lance uh, as well. So it's like it it does give you a much more rounded feel for the experience of a territory wrestler in the 1980s i think that's the right. the thing for me the one the one big thing that i take away is like the territory system was such a good breeding ground for talent because of right. the way that because of the way it works and i think you see these days kind of an emulation of that new japan do it all the time because their young wrestlers get sent to ring of honor or cmll or ref pro and go learn some other stuff and then come back and they're trying to emulate what used to naturally occur in north america anyway so andy same question for you how do you think your story and and chick's story relates to the modern wrestling game um well i uh... I think from a sort of historical point of view for, for fans of wrestling today, um, I suppose it's interesting for, the, for them to find out where sort of wrestling in Britain started and probably how, how tough it, it, it actually was compared to what they'd seen or what a lot of them remember from, like I was saying, in the 70s or 80s with, with World of Sport and that sort of, glamorized uh, sensationalized sort of uh, fights that we used to see then um, but again similar to Vinny with what he was saying about people um, about Lars telling him uh, different things Iris would say to me oh you're not going to put that in the book are you you know we, we, we delve into a story or I either found, found out something about Chick and she'd either confirm or say it wasn't true you know um, and, th- and then the memories from people that knew him and me relaying stuff back just to confirm uh, to her, basically, you know, somebody said this, is this true or not? And, you know, it, it, I think, like I said before, uh, getting the actual records of Chip and actually how many fights he, he, he probably had during that 26-year period which when you think about it, going back to have lasted that long time in the fight game, the wrestling fight game, from that very early development age and have sort of battled who he battled against, takes some doing. Um, when I, I watched the other night, actually, the, the, the wrestler v. Boxer match with Bombardier Billy Wells, who was a, a British and Commonwealth heavyweight champion, and although the fight only lasts like two and a half minutes, Chick takes several punches to the head and face. And Billy Wells, even then, was still a, 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 a real, you know, heavy puncher. 
Uh, and Chick could obviously handle himself. And, and he'd said at the time, you know, I should have won that match because I put Billy Wells down. And he does. With one punch, he felt, I mean, even though Wells is of a significant age still, you know, he's still darting around the ring during the, the, that fight. Chick hits him once in the stomach and puts him down. Puts him down on the on on his knees on the deck, you know, and you think, crikey, and and then to have to have found the story with regards to the the nightclub incident as to you know what wrestlers of that era were being employed as doormen, uh, you know, nightclubs and the, the Soho around that time. So to have found that that sort of nugget of a of a story that tells of chick laying out four knife-wielding assailants and then seeing off another four, again, just says to me, <laughs> he could handle himself, definitely. Uh, so, yeah, I I hope it, it, it gives people who, who are interested in their wrestling history, I hope it gives them sort of a background as to how tough the sport was back then and who they fought up against and and maybe a feel of the atmosphere around that time and and the attendances some of those attendances actually shocked me because Chick's yeah. fighting in front of crowds of 4,000 up in Scotland 10,000 in other places and then when he goes abroad to in, uh, tournaments in India almost crowds of like eighty to 90,000 uh, and one of the pictures shows him getting off the plane and he's waving to the, the crowd and it's just massed this absolutely massed crowd, you know, and cardboard cutouts, promotional cardboard cutouts back in, we're talking the 19, early 1950s, you know, and these yeah. guys are running around in big automobiles with a massive, great promotional cutout of themselves. So, you know, I, I hope it, it sort of says the game was still, the, 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 the wrestling game then was, was serious and these were decent fighters, you know, these were decent competitive fighters who really went up against each other uh, with, with a desire to win, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think this is this is the thing. And the Von Erichs did this as well in their, like, non-marketplace matches when they went on tour. And I think it's probably the one thing that both these scenes have in common. Ridiculously large crowds in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> 70 and 80,000 people in a field in Mombasa is a regular occurrence in the 1950s, 60s and 70s and even up to the 80s. WrestleMania 3, you know, the longest standing biggest main event, oh sorry, biggest card in history. And without without grown it since then, it probably is genuinely true the match of the cards they had at uh, Cowboy Stadium. Uh, so WWE had there. But I, I remember Kevin Nash talking about doing a WWE tour at some football stadium in India, and there was like eighty thousand people there because no one had bothered to put anybody on the door. So <laughs> I think I think sometimes we get caught up in this, obviously, because it's wrestling, and that's what you're supposed to. You get caught up in what the story is. But actually, there's been some very big cards down the years that no one knows anything about because there wasn't TV there or there wasn't newsreel footage there. So it's it's interesting. To certainly, I think certainly in that era. British wrestling was probably as big as it ever was as far as drawing cards was concerned, as far as money was concerned. And certainly the Von Erics in Dallas, it was definitely the biggest regular drawing card as far as wrestling in Texas was concerned. 
So thank you very much for both of you for your time today. Vinny, where can we find you on the internet? Where can we find the book? Where can we buy it from? Okay, you can uh, find me, Vincent Berry, on Facebook and reach out to me, send me a friend request. You can reach out to me, Vinny Berry, on Twitter. And uh, I also have a website called Russellville.com where I write about independent wrestlers, veteran wrestlers. And you can get the book at www.lancebychance.com www.lancebychance.com you can get the book um for those overseas i'm working on getting uh the book over there so uh when when that is available james i will let you know and that way you can let your listeners over there and uh in the uk know where they can get the book that's coming very very soon thank you very much andy where can we find you on the internet and where can we find your book sure uh, well, I'm on Twitter, Andy Andy Scott on Twitter. Uh, there's a London's Lovable Villain Facebook page being set up as well, which has got uh, news, interviews, pictures, and a link to purchase the book. And the book is available at the moment on eBay, uh, selling really well, going into its second print run as we speak. Uh, and hopefully it will go on Amazon as well. Uh, but it's also being sold uh, in Barnes Bookshop. Uh, which is the first independent bookshop to take it, which is significant because that's where Chick was living at the time, uh, later time of his, uh, his, his later life. Um, and also it's available as a Kindle edition as well. So if people want to purchase it in Kindle form, they can do. And they can contact me through DM on, on Twitter or Facebook via London's Level Really. Excellent. Well, my name is James Troopany. You can find me at Sheriff Blown Star on Twitter. You can find the show, uh, Troopany Show, on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, The Troopany Show, and on Patreon, The Troopany Show, where you can keep us free forever for everyone. Next week, we'll be going back to our usual review and watching along type kind of affair. I think we probably should have some more New Japan Pro Wrestling to look at by then with me and or Marcos or and or John or whoever else is available. We shall see. But for now, I would like to thank my guests very much, Vinny and Andy, and we will speak to you next week. Take care. Bye. Bye.